Okay, cool. So now we are recording for for the actual uh, actual interview. So do you want to just take a minute and introduce yourself? Uh, explain what you're all about. I have the, the Rise 25 bio up if you're okay with me reading sure, that. Sure, yeah. Cool. So Ben, ben was on full-time in the U.S. Air Force through May of this year. Uh, during that time, he founded and built two seven-figure e-commerce brands and also has an Amazon management company that helps brands transition from Kickstarter to Amazon. So Ben, I'd love it if you could elaborate on that for like two minutes and just tell us the specifics of what you're working on right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've always been passionate about entrepreneurship, probably like a lot of you guys uh, today at this event. And in grad school, I did a startup for a mobile app, ended up not really working out, but I was still very intrigued by entrepreneurship. So when I went down uh, for my Air Force assignment in the Washington, D.C. area, I heard about different business models, you know, kind of learning a lot about um, just what's out there for entrepreneurship. And uh, one of them that I kept hearing about was e-commerce. So I decided to start a brand um, around just something my wife and I knew well. We like hosting, we like coffee, tea. So we decided to kind of make a whole uh, brand of, out of bringing those products to life. And from uh, it actually grew really quickly, a lot faster than I anticipated. Um, and kind of from cracking the code on how to sell products really well online, especially on Amazon, and just learning all the like logistics sourcing side of things, decided to start a few other brands in the same um, model. With uh, one of them being CubeFit, which is a healthy office products brand, um, and then decided since the teams we built up had extra capacity that we could also help other brands. Um, sell on Amazon and transition them from a Kickstarter to uh, to selling consistently on Amazon because that's what we had done with a few of our own products. So it's kind of an evolution over the last few years, but um, thankfully they all did well enough that I was able to leave the Air Force in May to do these full time, and that's where I am today. Really cool. So my follow up question to that would be: What was your first step from the time that you said I want to go into e-commerce? It seems really interesting. What was the first step? The first book you picked up? The first person you called to actually get into doing business in e-commerce? Yeah. So I mean, and I think the what's what's also important is to realize there's just a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, I, I think it can be pretty easy to get um, almost tunnel vision like oh this is the only business that's possible and for me in grad school being in Boston especially that was all about like it's got to be a software startup it has to be a software startup but the more you find out about that world it's just it's really challenging to get something that actually works at an extremely high failure rate and yeah you can learn a lot and there's a lot of cool things being done um, but there's a lot else out there as well besides just a software startup or mobile app so step one I think is just learning, taking the time to do a broad search and see what's out there, see what business models you find that might kind of uh, tickle your fancy a little bit that you'd be interested in, passionate about, and then just start taking massive action and seeing what sticks. So for me, it was just kind of doing a bunch of research, finding as many podcasts as I could that talked about business, and then diving into a few of them, seeing what resonated, and that happened to be listening to the Freedom Fast Lane podcast, where the guy running it was talking all about e-commerce and I thought it sounded interesting, so so it's um, from there. It's just about taking some action, and so um, you know, I started looking at possible products we could sell, talking to some suppliers, and, and kind of going from there. Really cool. So that was Freedom Fastland. Do you know who who that podcast is by? Uh, yeah, it's by Ryan Moran. Uh, who actually, yeah, still runs it. It's uh, yeah, it was a really really good resource, uh, and there's just you know a ton of different ones. 
out there as well. So it's, you know, this fine balance between taking the time to learn about what's possible and exploring a bunch of different options, but also not suffering from paralysis analysis uh, and, and constantly learning about new things. Like at, at some point you just have to just start trying, you know what I mean? You have to start taking action and you're going to learn so much more from things that don't go right. So actually the first, when I heard that podcast, I started a brand, a fitness brand with a friend and it wasn't, it really wasn't a good uh, success story. It didn't really work out, but I learned so much from that failure uh, that we took what we learned and then kind of put it into Willow and Everett, which is the successful kitchen products company that I run with my wife right now. Very cool. So I have two follow-up questions, two follow-up questions to that. So the first is going to be, um, you talked about the importance of failure and I was doing some just background research and I saw that you mentioned in a fortune article that you took like just an initial $5,000 investment and you kind of considered that like if you were to be in a college course, you'd kind of be paying the same amount of money to get equal or not even as great experience. So I was wondering if you could talk, especially to this group of young college entrepreneurs who are just starting out about how you view that investment and investing in actual um, action and implementation versus investing in your education and coursework. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's like a hybrid approach um, between both. You know, it's really interesting to me that people are willing to spend $30,000, $50,000 a year on a college education, which I think is important, but then they won't spend $1,000 on a course or a program to learn from a super experienced entrepreneur that would possibly have a higher ROI than their entire college education. So and I actually put myself in the same bucket. I was too cheap to even buy a course on how to sell e-commerce products when I was starting out. And I probably should have. It probably would have like <laughs> saved me a lot of time. Um, but I viewed just getting started, you know, buying their first inventory shipment as my college course of, hey, you know, if I lose it, I'm going to learn so much from it. Let's get started. So I think that's a really important mindset to have is to view everything you're doing uh, is, is something to learn from because it also then takes the fear out of it because it's like, well, okay, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, I, I lost my initial investment, but that's not a big deal because I'm learning so much from it. But then I, as, as I was mentioning earlier, what I would add to that is, hey, also look and try to find like who's just killing it in the business you want to be a part of and then how can you learn from them, whether that's buying a course, maybe it's going to clarity.fm and scheduling a time just to talk with them, um, finding other mentors that you can, uh, you know, ask. But th there's there's always a faster way to do something. And the worst thing to do is just to try to figure it out yourself, you know, slam your head against the wall. It's a lot faster if you can just learn from people who have done it. So did you have a mentor who you, who, who you did that with, who you sought out and you actively tried to learn from, or was it really just from this podcast and other, other books and resources that you were able to find? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of the mastermind. So a lot of people have asked, you know, like, Hey, I'd love to maybe sell on e-commerce on Amazon. What should I do? And what I always point them towards is a lot of these resources that I used when I was getting started. Um, because you know, the collective intelligence of a mastermind is genius. So the faster you can get plugged into a group of people, they're all trying to do the same thing, the faster you can be able to grow. So in the beginning, I unfortunately didn't really have that mentor. You know, it is harder when you're starting out, you just don't have really much to offer someone and people, you know, successful people usually, um, can be busier. So, I, you know, I, I did try to reach out to a few, but it was, it was kind of hard to, to get anywhere. Um, but what there is a lot of, there's just so much information out there too much really. So it's really about finding what is the best information and how can I get access to it? So, um, for me, what was really critical was joining some Facebook groups that were talking all about, 
um, you know, e-commerce, selling on Amazon, and then just absorbing as much information from there as I could. But then it's also the process of realizing as you're learning and improving, you kind of have to start pruning groups you're in, almost firing them and moving on to the next one. So it's a hierarchy of, okay, I'm in the beginner's groups, and now I'm looking for groups that are, you know, 10K a month and upsellers, and I'm in groups that's, you know, to the next level, the next level. So it's always pushing yourself to surround yourself with people who are at that next level. I love the saying, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think that really applies to, uh, to virtual groups, in-person groups as well. Um, but then in addition to that, it was also just, yeah, trying to learn as much as I could from podcasts. Here's what I'll say though. There's a lot of great free information out there, but the best information, the best practices, that's usually not readily available. Um, online and the internet and that's where you have to kind of pay for it uh whether that's a course or a um a mastermind event um but that can come later so there's a lot just to get started though were, were there any mastermind events or other events that you went to when you were getting started that weren't necessarily the you know 10k earner per i think you said month um or per day but there were other smaller events that were kind of lower barriers to entry and lower barriers to get to those events that you you know what, here's on. what I'll say. I think for someone getting started, there is enough quality information out there um, to get you to those initial barriers. So from Facebook groups, from podcasts, even Reddit, there's some great Reddit um, groups out there. So, so it, it, it's, it really then comes down to are you a person who's going to be able to properly synthesize all that information and then take appropriate action? And if you do, then you'll be able to get to that point where you, now you're available to get into the next group. But I'll also say in-person meetups are pretty incredible. And, um, you know, I've heard it. The only way you're going to grow uh, as a person and grow your business is either from introduction of new information or from meeting new people. So I have been going to recently more and more live events, and those are amazing. The quality of information is better, and also just the connections can really accelerate where you want to go. So let's say... You know, so listening, cool. they have this besides these masterminds, area. are you going to? Uh, and so, sorry, just to finish that thought, what I was going to say is, if you if you've identified the area you want to, you know, start a business in, try to find those live meetups and and then just start going because it's a lot easier to find a mentor when you can have that in person connection rather than just trying to do everything through email or calling. So that that is one uh, note I guess I'd add. Very cool. Sorry to have interrupted. It sounded like you cut out for one second. Um, what, what I was going to ask was, are there any meetup groups in particular besides these mastermind events that you've been going to on, say, a weekly basis that you're finding really valuable right now? Mm, not really, to be honest with you. There's there's also the point where you, you reach where you kind of know all, all the information out there. It's just a matter of implementing it. So uh, so I'm kind of at that point right now where I'm, I'm so open to new information, but I'm more really focused just on what we're trying, um, what, what we're trying to do. And, and most of my information is coming from a few mastermind groups that I've, I've been in that I've gotten to know the people in uh, really well. But, you know, when you're getting started, you know, meetup.com, there's a lot of just great, great events out there like that. But then, you know, try to be uh, prudent and discerning to find the people who are actually doing well and have had success or look like they're on that path because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there and a lot of people that, um, you know, want to learn the information and talk a big game, but at the end of the day, they're not really doing much. Cool. Um, so backtracking a little bit, I think it's really interesting how you were able to get some really cool companies off of the ground to the point where you were actually able to just, you know, say, okay, I'm comfortable enough to step away from my 
from my, I want to, I don't want to say cozy, but from your traditional career in the air force, mm-hmm. uh, and that you were able to get those off the ground while you were working a full-time job. And I think it's really applicable, particularly to us students who were not working a full-time job, but we're spending a lot of our time. For me, it's probably 50 or 60% of my time working on classwork. And it's, I think it's, it would be really useful for you to maybe discuss some tactics and strategies that you found to be beneficial while you were starting your companies as a full-time, uh, um, were you, what's the word, a first-time full-time officer in the Air Force? Uh, yeah, yep. I was a full-time officer in the Air Force uh, as an engineer, uh, program manager for them. Um, but yeah, you, you know, it's, um, it can be a little daunting, I think, to think like, wow, how am I going to create a company while I'm doing this thing full-time, while I'm have a full-time job or I'm a full-time student but if you take one small step every single day it's incredible how far you'll have come when you look back after a year after even a few months and a book that I read early on that really kind of helped me understand this that I I do recommend is it's called The Compound Effect by Dale Hardy Um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it or not but it's it's pretty fantastic and kind of the premise is small things done consistently result in massive results like compound interest is an example of that but that applies to almost any area of life so how that applies to this is uh, a big breakthrough for me was before going into work every day just spending um, getting up earlier and spending one and a half to two and a half hours on our businesses before I'd go into work and it didn't seem like a lot of time, but over a few months, it produced massive results because I found in the morning, no distractions. I was very sharp, and you could just get a lot done. And again, it's just one step at a time, but it, it compounds pretty massively. So that's what I would say to someone who's interested in, in doing this. Really cool. So just to get a little more nitty-gritty on that, what did your mornings look like when you were waking up an hour and a half early before work? Were you yeah, was and, it sending emails? Was it? Well, and okay. Here's the other thing I'll say is, I, and I think anyone who's looking to to get started that has a big commitment, it's it might seem like a curse, but it can also be a blessing, and that it's going to force you to be hyper focused. Here, here's the thing: like when you're trying to make a company work, there's always an unlimited to do list. There's just too many tasks to do. So the people who succeed versus the ones who don't it really comes down to are you identifying the most important tasks and then doing them? Because you're going to have to eliminate a lot of things. You're just going to have to let some things slide. But can you make sure you get the most important tasks done? So another book that was monumental for me in this regard um, was called The 80-20 of Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall, all about identifying what are those 20% of efforts that are yielding 80% of results. And then a similar book to this is The One Thing, by uh, Gary Keller, Keller Williams Real Estate. And what, so to answer your question, Max, what I would do every morning is wake up and, and say, okay, before I do anything else, you know, before I do those tasks that seem urgent, that are urgent, but aren't really that important, I need to find what is the most important thing I can do today. Yeah, I dropped out sure. for, a few, for a few minutes <laughs> there. Yeah, so, so I had asked you about specific tactics and techniques mm-hmm. that you use to just uh, to actually implement your company early in the morning, what you were doing for that hour and a half. Um, and you were talking, you were talking about how you have a lot of tasks and you just need to hone in on, on those specific tasks that are really important. And I, I guess to summarize all that, what I'll say is I, I think that's actually maybe the most critical skill anyone can develop. And even if you don't 
end up being an entrepreneur just for a business, it'll make you such a more valuable employee is if you can identify what is actually important, what's actually going to move the needle of everything I want to do this right now. And then do that first. And just as an anecdote, we hired a guy who was a marketing manager for us for the last year and he was a great guy, but he never could properly prioritize what he had to do. And in a startup, we always have unlimited things to do. He couldn't do it. Well, we just had to let him go last week. And that was really hard, but he, he just couldn't get those most important things done. So ultimately he wasn't producing a very good ROI on his tasks. So I guess what I'll say to everyone here is just try, like, that's the most critical skill I think you can learn um, is, is that ability to identify what actually matters and then focusing on it. Cause it's so easy to get distracted by email, Facebook, by things that seem like they're important, but they're not really. So um, yeah. Very cool. Um, so here's another question that's uh, on the college student tangent. So I'm going to, I'm going to borrow this one from Tim Ferriss, but in his new book, he's asking a lot of very, really successful people who he admires uh, a bunch of questions. So I thought I'd ask you one of the questions. Um, so what advice would you give a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? What advice should they ignore? Wait, so, say that again. What advice should a, a smart college student about to enter the real world ignore? No, yeah. So what advice would you give a smart, driven college student about about to enter the real world, and what advice do you recommend that they ignore? And what advice should they ignore? Sorry, that last part cut off, but I think that's what you said. Is that right? Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so what advice would I give them? Hmm. I, I would take a lot of time to explore so many different possibilities and figure out what you really want to do because the industry you kind of start off in it could is going to set you off on a certain trajectory and you might find yourself entrenched in that for a long time if not the rest of your lives um so i would try to meet with as many people as you can in as many different areas as you're interested in and try to get a feel for what you think is the best fit for you most passionate about um rather than just kind of taking the first job that comes your way. And because and really, for me, at least in, in high school, I wasn't even really aware of what was out there. I only had a few things. So I wish I'd had a broader uh, exposure of, of what was possible. Um, and then what would I ignore? <laughs> um, I guess follow your heart. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a big... Uh, touchy-feely guy, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Follow-up question to that. So what was your heart telling you, or what do you remember your heart telling you while you were just about to enter the real world or enter your your, your major role in the Air Force? What, 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 do you, what did you think that you wanted to do that wasn't necessarily the right path? Um, yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, so for me, and I was a little different in that I had, because I went to the Air Force Academy, I had a five-year commitment that I had to go in the Air Force no matter what. But the choice I did have was what do, uh, what should I do with my career? And the big choice I was making was being a pilot versus being a program manager engineer, which was way nerdier and not nearly as cool as being a pilot. And my my heart, what I really you know thought would be awesome was being a pilot. But um, as I kind of examined like why did I want to do that I, I you know I, I think it's a matter of questioning your motives and f 
for me, it was really out of a source of pride. Like I wanted to be seen as cool and you know respected by people. Like, oh, I'm a fighter pilot. And when I really get, got down to it, I realized that's a terrible reason to go into a career. Um, and I, <laughs> I wouldn't have been happy. And I also would have been a terrible pilot, just as an aside. So I um, ended up going the, the more lame route of being an engineer, program manager. Um, but it because of that, I had then more time to not only develop my skills as a, as a manager, but to, um, you know, try some of these businesses. And it was also a difference of commitment length, a lot shorter for this route. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really like examining what is your motivation for going into a field? Is it actually going to make you happy? Cause I think a lot of people go into fields because of you know, like, Oh, it's going to make a lot of money or, Oh, all the prestige, you know, I want to be an investment banker. I want to do this or that. Like, you know, if you actually passion about that, awesome. But just question why you're going into that industry. And, and I, I think you should really do things that um, make, make you come alive. Really cool. So jumping into your Air Force experience quickly. Um, so you didn't become a pirate, but you did become a pilot. But you did become a, uh, you did become a paratrooper. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that's so cool that you were able to do that. While, while in the, your first stages of your career. Yeah, so, and actually, that was while I was still at the academy. So I was actually just a college student, uh, like you guys, um, but I was on the Air, Air Force parachute team. It was a really cool opportunity that's only available at the Air Force Academy. Um, but, yeah, so while I was going to my engineering classes, I would, in the middle of the day, quick run down to the airfield and some days get, like, four or five jumps in and then go back up to class. And it was uh, more of a public... Uh, affairs PR kind of play for the Air Force that we would just go represent them recruitment that sort of thing um, we also had a competition team but I was on the demonstration team so we would jump in air shows around the country college bowl games um, and just kind of represent the Air Force and uh, yeah it was it was a pretty awesome experience that's really cool so following up on that you so are there any like major lessons that you took out of jumping out of planes Four, four to five times a day while you were doing engineering classes that you still carry with you to this day and that you still use in your day-to-day -day business or even your personal life? Yeah, it's a really, you're, you're very good at asking questions and that is an excellent question and it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It Sometimes, you know, on the surface, it might be like, well, how would that ever impact, like, you know, a business or, you know, anything like that? But the the this huge, huge um, critical I don't even know if it's called skill. I'll say trait that entrepreneurs have that I've seen is the ability to take risks. And there's, I can't tell you how many people I know that are really smart, really competent. They would be amazing entrepreneurs, business owners, and they never do it because they fear loss. They fear the quote risk. They're just not willing to make that leap. And it doesn't have to be some crazy leap. But some of them won't even consider it because they're like, well, I don't want to lose money or oh, what if it goes wrong? And, and they'll never be able to do it. So the one trait I've seen successful entrepreneurs have is they will take risks. And personally, I didn't innately have a high risk tolerance, but by being on the jump team, and I was actually scared of heights before I joined, um, and now I've jumped over 550 times, that really kind of beat the fear out of me and, and helped me understand What's really going to happen? What's the worst case scenario? And jumping, we had a backup parachute on and a lot of training. 
So it taught me that even though something might seem scary, you're probably gonna be fine. And I think in business, whatever you might be doing, when you're fearful, just, I think Tim Ferriss has an excellent exercise. Ask yourself, like, what's the worst case scenario for, you know, Tim, he's talked about businesses, like, so what if your business fails? You're gonna go get a job, like, you'll be fine. You're not gonna be starving on the streets. So um, I think that's a huge, huge skill that not many people develop, but that's what the Pursuit team did for me. Cool. And, and, and your exercise of taking that five grand and putting that and investing that in your implementation education, was that, that was post Air Force jumping out of yep, planes, exactly. Correct? And you know what, if I hadn't been on the jump team, I don't know if I would have had the risk tolerance. I mean, you know, not seem like a lot, but it, it, it really was, you know, at the time, especially like, Hey, this is a significant amount of money. Um, but it, it's, it's really being okay with discomfort and, and pushing the bounds on things. So the 5K was the initial investment, but we ended up putting in more. And, you know, there's other risks of time. And then eventually right now, you know, having left the Air Force doing it full time, it's all, it's all risk. Um, but without risk, you really can't be an entrepreneur. Oh, that's really cool. Cool, cool, cool. And, and did you know that going into this jump exercise? Did you say... I'm not so risk tolerant, so I'm going to go join this jump team, jump out of planes and up my risk tolerance, or was it more retroactive that now you're realizing that because you did that, now you have a much higher risk tolerance? Yeah, exactly. It was more, it was more retroactive, but to be honest with you, like the thought of joining the jump team scared the heck out of me, which is a reason why I kind of thought I needed to do it. So I think it's just this, um, you know, idea of, of finding things that make you uncomfortable or scare you and then do them because that's how you're going to grow. And, and try to do one thing every day that scares you. That's pretty important. Do you have any exercises that you're doing now that are kind of, you, you know, I don't know, maybe you wake up and you take a cold shower to make you uncomfortable, <laughs> just as an example. Do you have any exercises now to make yourself uncomfortable? Uh, so, I mean, I, I really like physical exertion. So it's doing like a morning CrossFit workout. You know, you get up and the first thing you do is just, you know, do some sucky exercise. But, you know, Mark Twain's eating the frog, do the hardest thing first in the morning. It makes everything else easier after that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that, that's definitely a big one. Cool. Uh, so I know, I don't want to take up too much of your time cause I know that you have a flight that you need to catch. Um, but if you have a few more minutes, I'm a huge space fanatic <laughs> as you know, and I'd love to just maybe get like a two to three minute, two to three sentence summary of what you worked on in the air force and maybe ask a follow up. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so I worked at the, um, national reconnaissance office. So they do satellites for the CIA, Air Force, and, uh, uh, some other stuff as well. Um, and I was a uh, program manager there. So um, I was initially in their systems engineering division, kind of like the overall architecture of their space assets, and then moved into their uh, advanced R&D division, um, developing and looking at new computing technologies for satellites. Um, so yeah, un unfortunately there's not a lot of specifics I'm allowed to say, but it was a really cool assignment. Really cool. Really, really cool. And, and what's, what do you think the coolest thing is about the space industry right now? Maybe the past 18 months, the coolest thing that you've seen happen. Yeah. I mean, just the barriers to entry are coming down and launch is getting cheaper and it's just an explosion of startups and possibilities. You know, I'm, as many of you are aware of, you know, any, it's so much cheaper to put a CubeSat in space now and run experiments. And, um, but just that whole industry is rapidly changing. So, you know, everything SpaceX and other, um, Blue Origin, everyone's doing, it's really exciting. 
So here, here's the big question. Do you see yourself getting back into the aerospace world at any <laughs> point in, from an entrepreneurial perspective? You know, I, I guess I haven't ruled it out at some point. It, it would be pretty awesome just because there's a lot of startups. I guess what I'll say is those startups are much riskier and take a lot more time and they're just more complicated um, versus like the current kind of cash flow world of startups I'm in. But I wouldn't be opposed to it, especially after getting some successes from where I'm at right now with some exits and those sorts of things. And I mean, I, I really do enjoy it. So yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And what, what sector of aerospace do you, what type of technology are you really interested in? Is it, is it rocketry? Is it satellites? Is uh, it other types of resource utilization? The satellites and even more is just um, kind of like looking at the data that they can acquire, the information they can get, and then synthesizing that. Um, I, I'm really yeah interested in that uh, primarily. Have you ever sent a CubeSat up outside of your military life just for just for fun? Maybe it was like when you were in grad school as a project. I have not actually. No, in grad school is more in like quad rotors, uh, air breathing, aerospace. You could say. Very cool. Um, so, do you have more time, or do you I have to run? And actually, my wife just paying me. We actually do have to to bounce for uh, for the plane. But um, yeah, no, I really appreciate uh, you know have, having me on and. Wish I, wish I could have done a live, but this has been great. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it, and I'm sure that everyone else is going to appreciate it, appreciate it once I show this to them. Uh, thank you so much, and I hope that we can talk again soon. And next, if you're ever in Madison or back in Wisconsin, Ben's from Wisconsin, by the way. Um, I'm not sure what town. Uh, ben, Chip, what town Chip are you Chip from Falls. in Wisconsin? Small town, uh, like three and a half hours north of Madison. Chippewa uh, Falls. Falls. Yeah. Okay, cool. Chippewa Falls. Well, if you're ever in Madison or if you need a place to stay, hit me up. I'd love to hang out. Um, I hope that you have a safe flight and a great week. Big thank you to everyone who came out tonight. We had such an amazing time. Aaron and I were so happy to host all of you. Ben, thank you so much for doing this interview. It was really some fantastic content and you put in some really really cool gold nuggets that we're all going to hopefully dissect and implement in our own lives. It's really cool to see and hear from someone who built a business in such a high-stress environment, Sim very similar to the college constant grind that we're on, especially with finals week coming up. To everyone who came to the event tonight, it was such a pleasure to host you, and I can't wait till the next time we are able to do this. It will only get better. Thanks to our sponsors who made tonight possible, Ian's Pizza for donating three pies of pizza, Sushi Express for donating 25 sushi rolls and Cups Over Madison for donating cups and drinkware for tonight. We had such a great time and we can't wait till next time. Have a great night and a great rest of your week. And happy holiday season to all. Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas.